0: Well, we're not going to have a normal Mother's Day sermon today, but what I'm talking about, I hope, will be uh, very related to all the things you mothers do for us in this world. Today, I want to go on a short visit with God in his school of love. Interesting, the Bible is so dominated by the theme of love that anything that has ever been said about love outside the Bible really, I think, is just an embellishment on what the Bible already did say. There's no book in the whole world like the Bible on the subject of love. And today I want to talk to you about some of my favorite parts of God's great lessons of love in the Bible. So let's go to school with God for a few minutes, visit with him and let him tell us about love. You probably can't see this real well, but I can, so it'll be OK. Uh, here's what we see about love at a glance in the Bible. For example... Love is the greatest thing in the universe. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen says this. The greatest of these is love. The whole world will be blown away someday and love will still exist. It remains forever. It says in that same chapter without love, I'm nothing. Uh, We're told in first Corinthians 16, let all your things be done with love. We're told in Colossians three fourteen above everything else, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. So love above everything else. Same thing in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things have fervent love. Love covers a multitude of sins, says Peter again. John the Apostle says God is love. He says that twice in 1 John. James talks about the kingdom that's coming in the end is really just the kingdom that God has promised for those who love him. So it's a kingdom of love. James calls this the royal law. What is the royal law? What is the best law of all? Oh, that you should love your neighbor as yourself? That's the royal law. Uh, Ephesians 3.19 says the love of Christ passes knowledge. It's, it's more than you'll ever be able to comprehend. It's incomprehensible. John thirteen thirty four has Jesus telling his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus has really, really loved them. And so now they have to love one another like that, which is a tough act to follow. Same thing, really, in verse 35, all men shall know you are my disciples if you have love. If you don't have love, it'll just confuse them because this is a religion of love. And then, one more time, love one another as I have loved you. These are just samplings of some of the great verses in the Bible that talk about the priority of love. Love is the greatest, and so we learn that right away when we go to God's school of love. We are told by C.S. Lewis that affection is responsible for nine-tenths of whatever solid and durable happiness there is in our lives. It's all about love, and if you want to be happy, there's going to be all kinds of love involved with that, loving people in your family, people outside of your family, first and foremost, loving God. So let's talk about this. I think there might be four great lessons in God's school of love. And the first one is um, the Bible. So interesting here. The Bible tells us what the person who loves you is thinking and feeling. And of course, if you love somebody else, this is what you are thinking and feeling. And this might have a special application to the women in our lives who have loved us so well. But it's not just for women. It's for God. It's for men. It's for women. It's for children. It's for everybody. So what is the person thinking and feeling when they love you? Well, they are thinking that they really value you. So for example, in Malachi 3.17, the Lord says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, When somebody loves you, they value you. They think of you as a jewel. In Philippians 2, 3, here the Apostle Paul says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. We call that worthless self-elevation. Just don't do that. But in loneliness of mind, humility of mind, let each regard the other as better than themselves. I value you, as a matter of fact, more than I value myself. That's what somebody is thinking when they truly love you. They are thinking that they value you and here's a good rule for the rest of your life. Make sure you give special kindness and consideration, not abuse, to the people who will cry at your funeral. Sometimes the people nearest us, the ones who will actually cry at our funerals, we treat them like dirt. That's so backwards. Don't treat your mothers badly. When somebody loves you, here's what they're thinking about you. They're thinking the best of you. We read in 1 Corinthians 13:5 that wonderful text, Love thinks no evil. In verse 7, love believes all things. They're thinking the very best of you that they possibly can. That's what they're doing when they love you. They're trying to believe you. Henry Drummond was so good here. He said, this is the great unworldliness. You know, that somebody would truly love you like this. This is the great unworldliness. It is a wonderful thing that here and there in this hard, uncharitable world, there should still be left a few rare souls who think no evil, impute no motive, see the bright side. Put the best construction on every action. That's just beautiful. I have always loved him, and that comment is so right. Uh, Elaine DeBotten is an author, and he says, when a baby is kicking and crying, we almost never once say, that baby is out to get me, or she's got evil intentions. Like, think better of your baby than that, right? And I don't even have to tell you that. But then when they grow up, that's the way we start to think. We need to think about all the people, just like we think about the babies. They're not out to get me. They're not doing this because they have evil intentions. You need to put things in the best possible light because love thinks no evil. Don't imagine that I'm thinking badly when I'm not. Love thinks no evil. And when somebody loves you, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking the best of you. They're trying to believe you. They're overlooking your faults. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, it says, He that covers a transgression seeks love. And how many times have the people who have loved us just covered up our transgressions. They don't want to draw attention to them. They're forgiving them. They just want them to go away so we can all be good. In 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover the multitude of sins. Sometime back I read about a conversation, two women were talking about a time when this one woman was really treated badly by another person. And so the conversation went like this. Don't you remember what that person did to you? And the second woman said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. And that's what you do when you love somebody. You overlook their faults. When somebody loves you, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? Oh, they're trying to overlook your faults. Isn't that a wonderful thing? In the Bible, we learn that when somebody loves you, they're trying to trust you. Again, from 1 Corinthians 13, this time verse 7 emphasized, love believes all things. I really want to believe what you're telling me and I want to believe what you represent yourself to be because I love you. I'm trying to think the best of you. I want to trust you. I want to believe you. That's what love does. And when somebody loves you, they're trying to believe you. They're trying to believe in you. They're trying. It's a wonderful thing when somebody does that. Sheldon Van Auken in his book, Severe Mercy, talks about the wonderful romance he had with his wife, Jean. And they decided that they just want to have the best marriage that anybody could ever have. And they said, okay, if that's how it's going to be, the best marriage anybody could ever have, then here's what we have to do. There was only one answer, total trust, however risky, whatever one of us asked the other to do. It was assumed the asker would weigh all consequences. So she would not have asked me to do such and such a thing if she didn't already think that it's going to Annoy me or aggravate me or be inconvenient. But she's asking me to do it. There must be a good reason. I trust you that since you ask me to do it, you must have a good reason. And that's what people do when they love you. When you have been loved, you have been trusted. People are trying to think well of you. They're trying to believe in you. Hudson Taylor says, it's better to be trusting and gentle and sympathizing, even if often taken in, rather than sharp and hard take a chance on people as much chance as you possibly can because when you love somebody you believe them you try to believe them you try to believe in them what are they thinking when they love me what are they thinking when they love you well they're thinking that you're pretty great they're enjoying you and isn't it great that somebody enjoys you it's so nice to be enjoyed isn't it Psalm 149, verse 4, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. The Lord takes pleasure in you. Isn't that something? The Lord takes pleasure in his people. God enjoys you. Jeremiah 31, 20, uh, Ephraim being a nickname for the whole nation of Israel. Isn't that Ephraim, my dear son? Is he not a pleasant child? Isn't that great? The Lord says, these are my people. Aren't they pleasant? Aren't they dear? In Zephaniah 3.17, God will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is God enjoying you so much that you make him sing. Isn't that something? He will rest in his love. Like, ah, this is great, isn't it? Just to have this love. He will rest in his love. He'll joy over you with singing because he rejoices over you, period. Malachi 3.16, God loves you. And he just enjoys you. So this is what happens. Malachi 3.16. Then they that feared the Lord, they spoke often one to another because they love the Lord and so they're talking about the Lord much like we have done gathering here today. Uh, They spoke often one to another and the Lord listened and he heard it. And he must have liked it very much because it says, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. The Lord said, in essence, Look there, those people are talking about me. Those people love me. I want to write this down. Let it go in the archives of eternity. Let us have a library in heaven. And all the times when that guy got together and talked about me so pleasantly, I want to remember it forever. And so the Lord has a book in the archives of heaven for all of us who have talked well of him. And isn't it great to be enjoyed? And God likes to be enjoyed. And God enjoys us. In Luke 10:39, Martha and Mary had Jesus over to their house. It says, Mary also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She just enjoyed being with the Lord. Isn't it great when somebody just wants to pull up the chairs and talk with you? Like, I don't have any particular agenda today. I just want to talk. I think a lot of times our mothers would fall over dead if we called them on the phone for no particular reason. We just wanted to talk. And that's a wonderful thing, to be enjoyed. What are they thinking about us if they love us? Well, they enjoy us. Martha, when Lazarus died, came to Mary and said, Jesus is here. Martha went her way, called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, the master has come. Jesus is here and he's asking for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. He's here. It's nice to be enjoyed. Jesus was enjoyed. Jesus enjoys you. Other people wish that you would enjoy them. It's so nice to be wanted. The person who loves you is just thinking a lot about you. That's what God does for us. Psalm 40, verse 5. Your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. How many times does God think about you in a day? Well, it's impossible to say. It couldn't be numbered. How could we tell? Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, your thoughts toward me, if I should count them, they'd be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Isn't that great? The Lord is thinking about us all the time. When you love somebody, you think about them all the time. The person who loves you thinks about you a lot. Isn't it nice that somebody's thinking about you a lot? Isn't that great? And so that's what the person is like when he loves you. He's thinking about you a lot, and he enjoys thinking about you a lot. Let's smash those two together. This is one of my favorite stories about D.L. Moody. And you just have to know, In these days, people weren't very affectionate to their children, we're at 1,900, and people weren't very affectionate. Even some of you would say, yeah, my grandparents, I love my grandparents, but wow, you know, they're a little prickly. Well, we got better with the James Dobson era, but it all starts with people like D.L. Moody. This is 1900, and he's writing a letter to his grandbaby. He says, her name is Emma, in six days you will be one year old. I'm going to steal up to your home next summer and take you out riding before your parents get up. Just so you know, he did not have a motorcycle. He was taking her riding in the buggy just wanted to clarify in case you were thinking that's why I liked him. All right, next summer, I'll take you out riding before your parents get up. What times we will have together. I get real homesick thinking about it. Only think what your mother said to me the other day. I, your grandfather, could not kiss you on your lips. Did you ever hear anything like that? But I got a kiss on your lips just the same. Now, I do not want to turn you against your parents. But if they do not treat you right, slip down to my house and get some donuts and ice cream. I consider that to be the perfect grandfather right there. Um, I enjoy you. I get homesick thinking about you. I think about you a lot. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about what we might do someday. And maybe we won't be able to do it, but I'm hoping we can do it. I love you. I, I enjoy you. I'm thinking about you. And if that's beautiful to you, then you know that's how God thinks of you. Isn't that something? When a person loves you, they really are understanding you. That's what God does for us. Psalm 103, verse 14. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. In Psalm 139, verse 2, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You know all about me. Isn't it great when somebody knows about you, when somebody understands you? Uh, it's a wonderful thing. I, I actually feel kind of bad about this sometimes. But uh, Teresa is so cautious about not annoying me. It, it kind of hurts my feelings sometimes. She's so cautious. Um, she, she sees me in my study. You know, I'm thinking about something. And she won't listen to music in the other room because she doesn't want to disturb me. I'm like, honey, you can do what you want. Oh, and she comes in. She has to get something from uh, my office. And you have to understand, my office. This is a very generous term. It's uh, I don't know what to call it, but okay, in my office. And she sneaks in, opens the door quietly, and gets something out of the drawer, and then sneaks out. Like, honey, it's okay. You know, you're good here. But she knows that I'm kind of intense. Oh, and and she tiptoes in when it's supper time. Um, so here's my thing. I when I talk to her about supper, I I often because I'm the last one in the house now. You know, all the children are gone. And so before you you could imagine that she was making supper for the kids, but now she doesn't make supper for the kids. She makes supper for me and for her. And so um, when she used to feed the dog, she would she would tease the dog. She Daisy, look what I got. The dog ears you'll know, perk up and then she start trotting around. Oh look what I have. So now you know I I. Think of that when she feeds me, like, <laughs> Dave, look what I got, ooh. <laughs> uh, and, and I say, do you ever just feel like that? Like, like you say, you put it down, you say, there, you know, like, you like that, don't you? There, uh, which is totally true. But so she, got, because I, I, when I'm in the middle of something, I can't stop. It, it hurts me to stop. Um, and Teresa understands this. I mean, I would just skip eating a lot of times. I I don't want to stop. When I was doing the remodeling on the house, I just keep going and going sometimes. And she said, you have to stop. And I didn't want to sleep and I didn't want to eat. But eventually it's all of a sudden like, whoa, I feel dizzy and sick. I better get some fuel or something. This is not working. But I hate to stop. So I'm studying in my little office there. And she opens the door. She says, I'm just asking. When would you like to eat? And I try not to be annoyed that I have to stop. I mean, it hurts me to stop. For example, I was fixing the doorknob to our laundry room, the deadbolt. And I've been working on it for about an hour. I have it just about right. But the truth is you, you have to wiggle the door to make the deadbolt swing across. The reason it's like that two years later is because it was supper time. I needed a few minutes. Like, I got it. I have the chisels out, I have the tools, I have the drummle tool. Give me a minute. But, honey, it's cold. I like to eat my food hot. So, here we are, two years later, and the deadbolt's not right. It hurts me. And Teresa knows it hurts me, and she's so good. She knows my thoughts so far off. That's so nice. When Cory Tenboom was a little girl, she was traveling with her father. You know, this is just before World War II. She's traveling with her father, who's a watchmaker. And uh, the thought comes to her mind that she'd like to find out where babies come from. So she asks her dad while they're on this business trip. And um, dad brings the suitcase down that has all the watch parts in it. He says, Corey, will you carry this for me now? Um, will you carry it off the train, Corey? And I stood up and tugged at it. It was crammed with the watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you're older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. See, I understand the child. I understand the stage of life. It's a wonderful thing to be loved and understood. What is a person thinking when they love you? Well, they're wanting the very best thing for you. They do. They want the very best thing for you. That's what it means to love somebody. And if you've been loved, the person who loves you wants the very best thing for you. So in Psalm 84, 11, no good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. God won't withhold anything good. You say, I didn't get the promotion. It didn't work out the way I wanted. Well, if it had been good for you, God would not have withheld it from you. If you're walking uprightly, he would never up, uh, withhold something good from you and he just loves you. He wants the very best for you. In Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end that is a future of great expectation. Uh, did you ever read the book, Great Expectations? You are a gentleman. He's poor. He has nothing. Now there's money for you. You are going to be a gentleman of great expectation. The Lord says, I know the thoughts that I have for you. You're going to be a person of great expectation. Lamentations uh, 333, God does not afflict willingly or grieve the children of men. Do you think I wanted you to suffer, to be disappointed, to be downcast? I didn't want that. I did it because it was necessary. I want the very best thing for you. Third John 1 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I just want the very best thing for me and it doesn't seem like it to you. Um, God wants the best thing for you and people you love want the best thing for you. Uh, Great story from so long ago. A little girl had some toy jewelry that she loved and she wore it all the time. But the problem was she's getting a little too old for this now. And so her dad tells her, Darling, I know you love your toy necklace, but it really doesn't look nice on a big girl like you. I want you to stop wearing it. As a matter of fact, Just throw it away in the fireplace right now while we're thinking of it, okay? So she put it in the fireplace and then her dad gave her her first real jewelry. You got to trust him. He always wants the very best thing for you and you just don't understand it sometimes. And you have to trust the people who love you. They're telling you these things because they want the very best thing for you. You see, that's what it is to be loved. And they're feeling sorry. You know, what are they thinking about me when they love me? Oh, they're feeling sorry for you psalm 103 verse 13 as a father pities his children he feels sorry for them so the lord pities those who fear him i'm sorry for you i know you're disappointed that's how the lord feels first peter 5 7 cast all your care upon him because he cares for you it does matter to him it makes a difference to him in romans 8:26, the spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings doesn't that mean something for you when when you're praying you think i wonder if god cares and the Holy Spirit is actually caring so much that he groans. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. I mean, even if we're wrong, he's touched with the feeling. He cares. He feels sorry for you. So that's what a person is feeling when they love you. Now, what is that person doing? when he loves you? What is he doing as far as labor and investment? And we're going to go quickly through these. They're great, but you know about these. Uh, The Lord helps you because he loves you. He helps you. And anybody who loves you is going to help you. As a matter of fact, help is one of the most important parts of this whole discussion. Deuteronomy 1, 31. In the wilderness, Moses says to the people, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. Picture the Lord carrying you like in the footprints poem. That's a real thing with God. Isaiah 40:11. The Lord will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. There's actually a very famous painting that a lot of Christians had in their homes. When I was a kid, my parents had a little copy of it on the headboard of their bed. And it was a picture of Jesus carrying a lamb in his arms. And that's a wonderful, colorful picture of the way the Lord feels about you. Picking you up like a baby lamb and just carrying you. He has to be gentle with you. And he has to be gentle, if the women can appreciate that, with those who are with young. Special consideration for the pregnant ladies. Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. Uh, one of the nicest Things that happened to me in my uh, grandparenting experience is that my little grandson, Eli was so desperate to walk he just could not stand not walking as a matter of fact he didn 't even crawl properly when he learned to crawl. he crawled uh, like a bear on his you know hands and feet like mowgli he didn 't even let his knees touch he just wanted to get upright and um, for a long period of time when Triesa and I were babysitting him, he would Get up and fall right down. So many times you, you felt bad for the boy. And so one of his favorite things was when he was trying to walk, I would come alongside and hold his hands. And then I would get him balanced and he would take a couple steps and fall down. And it got to the place where he quit looking. I was with him a lot, you know, day after day in this period of time. And he quit looking. He would fall down and he'd just reach up like this. And he knew I would help him. It's the craziest thing and so sweet. When Ephraim was a child, I loved him. And I taught him how to walk. I took him by the hands and taught him how to go. That's what the Lord is doing. He's helping you. He is your helper. Psalm 107, verse 9. The Lord satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. That has to do with food. So once again, on Mother's Day, I think we can appreciate that. Um, How many times have our mothers... Filled our hungry souls with goodness. Uh, Teresa coming to me and say, Look what I have. Psalm 145, verse 16. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Same thing, feeding us when we're hungry. Psalm 121, verse 4. He who keeps Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. The people who love you sometimes lose a lot of sleep over you, you know. That's what it's like to be loved. And isn't it great that they do that? Love helps you like in Mark 10, 16. Jesus took the babies, the infants, the young children, in his arms. He carried them. He picked them up. And that's so beautiful. Uh, that's what the Lord is doing for all of us, picking us up. It's interesting, Yale psychologists found that groups of six-month-old babies to ten-month-old babies were able to distinguish between helpers and hinderers in the world. I think they don't even know how to talk yet. And they know this guy is a helper, and this guy is a hinderer. And they had some little wooden puppets, and they had this little round guy who was the climber. He's trying to go up the hill. It's hard. Oh, I can't make it. I can't make it. And then this little square guy, and they have googly eyes, uh, so the kids you know, latch onto the eyes. And the, the, the round guy, he can't get up the hill, and the square guy comes and goes bump, 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 and gets him up the hill. All right, then they're watching. Oh, the round guy is almost to the top. He finally got to the top all by himself. And then a triangle guy, also with googly eyes, bump, 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 bumps him down the hill. And they watch this until they get bored because six months old, they don't have a lot of attention span. They watch this until they're thoroughly bored. And then they bring out the toys. You see the square helper guy and the triangle hinderer guy? They always, almost without fail, reach for the helper. They know who the helpers are in this world. Babies know who's going to help them. You know when you meet a child? A child in children's church, for example? That child looks at you and can identify you as whether you're going to be a helper in life or not. It's like hardwired into them from God. And God helps us. And our mothers have helped us. And anybody who loves you will help you. And hopefully you'll help many other people. That's what love does. And sometimes it's extra help. Like over-the-top help like spending time and energy on you that is not convenient. So Mark ten forty four, whoever of you will be the first shall be a servant of all. We're going to help a lot. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, we remember without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love. Love has labor, time and energy, labor, laborious. Same thing in Hebrews six ten. God is never going to forget your work of faith and labor of love. He's never going to forget your love, your labor, your intensity, and so sometimes it's pretty intense, right? And sometimes it's so intense. It goes beyond help, it goes beyond labor and even gets to a place where it hurts. Sacrifice until it hurts. And that's what it's like to be loved. That's what love does for you. It sacrifices until it hurts. Second Corinthians 12:15 Paul says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you the more abundantly I love you, the less you love me back. Oh, how many mothers could say exactly the same thing? This is what it's like to be God. He loves us so much and we don't love him back. This is what it's like sometimes when somebody loves you and you didn't really love them back very well, did you? Romans 15.1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities, the weaknesses of the weak and not please ourselves. The strong always look after the weaker ones. I'll take care of you and you might not even appreciate it. I will still take care of you. 1 John 3.16 Because Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now it's getting really intense. Now we're talking about not just a little help or even labor. Now we're talking about laying down our lives for the betterment of somebody else. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So if you love somebody, you... Give yourself to that person, even if it costs you all that you have, that sacrifice. Mark ten forty four again, talks about being a servant like this to everybody. John 5, uh, 15, 13, there is no greater love than this, then you'd sacrifice your life for your friends. And C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia reminds us, this is what it means to be king. If you're going to love people, if you're going to be a leader, this is what it means. It means to be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat, and when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. My dad talks about growing up poor, and he said that his mom would take for her chicken dinner the back. The back of a chicken is not good. And she always said, oh, no, I I like the back. (laughs) (laughs) A scantier meal and perfectly happy. David Ireland talks about these sacrifices. He had a neurological disease that uh, was taking away all of his movement, and he had to be in a wheelchair. His wife was pregnant, and he wrote this letter to his child, thinking that maybe the child wouldn't know who he was because he might die before the child came along. So here's the letter he wrote to the child who's still in the womb. So your mother is very special. She has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house in the wheelchair, sit me in the seat of the car, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, and drive off to the restaurant. And then it starts all over again. We sit down to have dinner, and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it's over, she pays the bill. She pushes the wheelchair out to the car again and reverses the same routine. And when it's over, finished, with real warmth, she'll say, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. And I never quite know what to say. That's what it means to love. When somebody has loved you, they're sacrificing, they're, they're helping, they're laboring, and they're even sacrificing for you. And that's how God is to us, which is why we love the Lord so much. Love helps you behind the scenes. You don't even know it. And they help you behind the scenes because they don't want you to feel humiliated. Humiliated. Or somehow obligated to repay them so this beautiful story in Ruth chapter 2 Boaz commands his young men saying let Ruth because she's poor let Ruth glean among the sheaves you know pick up the stragglers uh, so she can have them for her own pantry so let her glean among the sheaves of barley and do not reprimand her and let some of the handfuls fall also on purpose for her and leave them so that she may glean them So we're just going to let some of these fall on purpose for her, and she'll never know because we don't want to humiliate her, and we also don't want her to feel like uh, she needs to pay us back. So Susan went blind at the age of 34. It was devastating to her. She was a very confident, capable woman, and now she can't see. She went into a severe depression, and her good husband, Mark, who was in the military, said that, uh, you know, he would do anything he could for his wife, and now it came time for him to do that. He carefully helped her do all the things that blind people have to learn how to do, and then eventually he said, you know, the kind of job you have, you can do it blind. She said, I can't even get to work. So for a while, he took her. He drove her to work, but it was a long ways, and plus he's in the military. He doesn't really have freedom to keep taking her to work. It's not working out too well. So he says, well, you know. You could take the bus. She's afraid. I can't take the bus. So he practices with her. He shows her how to get on the bus, how to pay her fare. And then the big day comes when she can go to work by herself on the bus. She was very afraid, but she did it. And she did it day after day. After a week of that, she came and paid the bus driver and went to walk back to her seat, which they were saving for her. And the driver says, boy, I sure envy you. And she says, why do you say you envy me? I'm blind. He says, well, it must feel so good to be taken care of and protected like you are. And she says, what do you mean? He says, well, every morning for the past week, a fine-looking young man in a military uniform has been standing across the corner watching you when you get off the bus. He makes sure you cross the street safely, and he watches until you enter your office building. Then he blows you a kiss and gives you a little salute and walks away. He didn't want her to know. That's just what love does. Love is always doing things like that. Uh, secretly, Teresa said, my neighborhood was so safe when I was five years old, I walked to school. And her dad said, you didn't walk to school by yourself. We watched you the entire way. But we didn't want to humiliate you. It's a big deal, right? That's what love does. You don't even know that you're being loved a lot of times. Love reaches out to you first. 1 John 4:19. we love him because he first loved us. Hosea 11.4, I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love. I pulled them to me. I attracted them. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ loved us. We weren't even lovely and he still loved us. He went first. Gabby Reese is a volleyball and fitness coach. She says, I always say I'll go first. That means if I'm checking out at the store, I'll say hello first. If I'm coming across somebody and make eye contact... I'll smile at first. The response is pretty amazing. You go first. That's what love does. Emily Freeman was feeling a little lonely. She said, I realized I had two choices. I could either continue as I was, waiting for people to come, to show up and surround me, or I could decide to move toward people myself. Would I rather people just come to me? Yes. Would I rather be pursued than pursue? Yes. But that's not what love does. Love goes first. Love reaches out first. And how do you feel when somebody loves you? How do you feel? Isn't it great? Well, you feel lift. Powers 1225. Heaviness in the heart of a man makes it stoop, but a good word makes it glad. You've lifted me. You've loved me. It's made a difference in my life. Philippians two one. If there is therefore any consolation in Christ if any comfort of love, consolation, comfort these are all lifts. If any fellowship of the Spirit if any bowels and mercies fulfill my joy. You have lift because you've been loved. You feel the lift like in Psalm 91.5 You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day. In Psalm, uh, Isaiah 61 The Lord has sent me to heal the broken hearted. I'll help you. I'll fix you. The Lord has sent me to comfort all that more, to give them beauty for ashes. It's so great to be lifted. And you feel all tied together with somebody. In Joseph's story, remember, he frames Benjamin for the theft of his cup. He says, now Benjamin has to stay here and be my servant. The rest of you brothers go back and tell your dad. And Judah stands up heroically to the strongest and the most authoritative man in the universe and he said his life my father's life jacob's life is bound up in the lad's life in benjamin is that great their lives are all tangled together his life is bound up in the lad's life they're tangled together it shall come to pass when my dad sees that benjamin is not with us he will die all tangled together Your mother's love is all tangled with yours, most likely. God's love tangles him to us. We are tangled together. Ruth 1.16 has Ruth saying to her mother-in-law, mother-in-law of all people, do not entreat me to leave you or return from following after you. For where you go, I'll go. And where you lodge, I'll lodge. It's all tied together. And your stomach feels funny in a pleasant way. That's what it feels like when you are loved. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 5. Steady me, for I am sick from love. Uh, The old carpenter's song. I hear singing, but there's no one there. I smell blossoms, but the trees are bare. Uh, I toss and turn at night, and what's more, I've lost my appetite. I don't know why. And the answer is, there's nothing you can take for this pleasant ache. You're not sick, you're just in love. But it's weird because we are so sappy. We get this queasy feeling in our stomachs over our pets. I mean, we're very loving people, evidently. And the Lord feels that way, evidently, towards us, as in the Song of Solomon. And we feel that way towards him and towards our loved ones and mothers feel that toward their children. You have probably many times along the way made your mother just sick (laughs) in a pleasant way. Genesis forty three thirty, Joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brother and he entered into his chamber and he wept there. The first time he saw Benjamin, his his (laughs) true younger brother, full younger brother, he just went and he felt queasy in his stomach. So it's not just for romance between husband and wife. It's for brothers too. And it's not just for brothers either. Philemon 1.7 We have great joy and consolation in your love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by you, brother. Uh, They all feel exhilarated to be around you, Philemon. Philippians 2.1 Again, if there's any bowels and mercies, do you ever have any compassion? Does your stomach not just hurt? You see a child crying? Do you get a little misty, that's good. So that's what it is to love and be loved. Jeremiah thirty-one twenty, Is not Ephraim my dear son? Is he not a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I did. I said some bad things that needed to be said. I earnestly remember him still. My heart yearns for him. That queasiness in the stomach, in a good way. Your hardships just feel less important. Proverbs fifteen seventeen, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is, than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. A dinner of herbs. Like, what could be sadder than to be a vegetarian? <laughs> but even if you were a vegetarian, if somebody loved you, you'd be quite happy. You feel built up. You feel better than you used to be, better than you were. First Corinthians one. we know that we all have knowledge. Big deal. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love builds up. Isn't it great when somebody builds you up, makes you better than you were before? That's what you feel like when you've been loved. As a matter of fact, you want to be a better person. As a matter of fact, you even want to be a wonderful person. Luke 7:47. this woman with a bad reputation, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You have loved me and that inspires me to be a better person. Ephesians 5, 1, be followers of God as dear children. You are his dear children. Doesn't that make you want to act dear? Second Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constrains us. We would have behaved one way, but we can't do that to Jesus. One more thing that we just have to look at. The growing pains that love must cause you. Hmm. This is the tough love stuff. And as you've seen from our previous comments, there is another kind. But, Tough love is important too, isn't it? Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Love corrects you when you're wrong. And that's necessary. That's true love. Love corrects you when you're wrong. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be an excellent oil. You're right. I needed a slap in the face. You're right. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, you've just crushed me. And I needed it. Thank you. Love corrects you when you're wrong, much as we hate it. One of my favorite stories about Spurgeon, we said something about D.L. Moody with his little granddaughter, Spurgeon. You know, those two guys together, basically, uh, changed Christianity in 1900. A lot of what you are today, you are because of Moody and Spurgeon. Well, here's a Spurgeon story that I like very much. He was talking about his deacons and correcting them, and being corrected. So one day I spoke rather sharply to one of the deacons, and I think he deserved the rebuke I gave him, but he said to me, well, that may be so. But I'll tell you what, sir, I would die for you any day. I replied, oh, bless your heart. I am sorry I was so sharp, but still you did deserve it, did you not? He smiled and said he thought he did. But isn't that great? Each one is correcting the other. You know, you shouldn't have done that. I said, well, you're awfully sharp with me. And they both learned. Love corrects you when you're wrong, and it's necessary. The growing pains of love. Love asks you for things when it could have demanded. Philemon eight is so great this way, isn't it? Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you to do that which is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather request you being such a person as Paul, the elderly one, and now also in prison. I could command you. I just hate to. But you know I'm right. It's the growing pains of love. You have to listen to me. And Philemon did, by the way. Maury Schwartz in the book Tuesdays with Maury, he's dying and he's teaching his young friend some of the important lessons in life. His young friend isn't getting along with his brother very well. And he asked Maury about it. And Murray said, there's no formula to relationships. They have to be negotiated in loving ways, with room for both parties, what they want and what they need, what they can do and what their life is like. So when you love somebody, even though you might be in a position of authority, even though right is on your side, and you could command it, you could demand it, you just hate to. Sometimes it's necessary. It's the growing pains of love. And love watches over your soul. Last of all, love watches over your soul for your invisible and eternal good. So in Hebrews 13:17, we're talking about um, church leaders, but it's just as true with mothers and fathers, and it's what the Lord does for us. Obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. They're just trying to take care of you. They watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. They're just trying to take care of you. So where have we been in our short visit to the school of love with God? What is the person thinking of you when a person loves you? Well, the person who loves you is thinking and feeling that, oh, and because it's Mother's Day, we're going to use lots of she's and hers. Okay, we'll get the pronouns for Mother's Day. The person who loves you is thinking and feeling that she values you. And she's trying to think the best of you. And she's overlooking your faults. And trying to trust you. She enjoys you. She understands you. She thinks about you a lot. She wants the very best thing for you. And she feels sorry for you when anything disappoints you. And what is she investing in you? The person who loves you is investing in you by helping you with little things, sometimes feeding you, and sometimes even losing sleep over you. Sometimes she spends time and energy in real labor. And sometimes she sacrifices for you until it really hurts. She reaches out to you before you reach out to her. And a lot of times she helps you behind the scenes so you won't feel humiliated or obligated to repay her somehow. And how do you feel when you're loved? Well, when you're loved, you feel lifted emotionally and practically helped. Your emotions get all tied together with that person's life and Sometimes your stomach feels a little queasy in a pleasant way. When you feel loved, your hardships don't feel hard and you are actually built up to be a better person. You want to be a better person. You even want to be wonderful. And last of all, the person who loves you is taking risks she would rather not take. She risks losing your warmth if she corrects you when you're wayward in some choice or conduct. And she keeps trying to frame her loving input as a request instead of a command. And she watches out for your invisible and eternal good when you would have preferred her to stay out of your business. She wishes there were not so many risks, so many ways for the warmth of your love to be spoiled. It's been a couple of years now, so let me tell you again about the cross-country race in Texas. A man who had... Nothing to do, happened to see a crowd gathering. He thought, well, I'm killing time. How about if I watch what's happening here? It was a high school cross-country race, and uh, he didn't have a child in the race, so he's just observing people. Toward the end of this two-mile race, uh, he watches this one particular woman. There are hundreds of spectators. One particular woman uh, is dressed in a skirt, and she's got dress shoes on, and she's carrying a purse, and her daughter is running. There isn't much left uh, in this race, and so all the parents are kind of crowding near the end. And her daughter is giving up. Uh, You could tell she's not stepping right. She's thinking about walking instead of running. And here's this mom in her skirt and dress shoes with her purse in her hand. She runs next to her daughter, whose name is Tammy, and she says, Run, Tammy, run. And so this is what's happening. This guy is just watching this 40-something-year-old woman say, Run, Tammy, run. And um, as soon as she said that, the daughter looked different. She started stepping in stride again like she's not going to walk. Now she's going to finish in stride. and, And she just looked different on her face. And she crossed the finish line. As soon as she crossed the finish line, she spun around and hugged her mom. And because she was so tired and mom isn't ready they actually fall down into the grass and they're laughing and they're crying and they're having the very best time well this pastor who's watching this he says so i thought of my own children and of the race of life they are running a different and far more important race than this cross-country race i am a spectator in that race also i have helped them to train i have pleaded, instructed." threatened, punished, prayed, praised, laughed, and cried. But now the gun is up, and their race has begun, and I am a spectator. My heart is bursting, always whispering in a voice they cannot hear, run, children, run. That's what mothers do. That's what God is doing for us. Run, child, run, you can do this. And that's what every person who has ever loved anyone is doing. Friend, husband, wife, child, run, friend, run. Don't give up, run. And that's what love does. Can we stand and be dismissed with prayer? Father, we just ask that we would appreciate your love. You've been wonderful. That we would be lovers of others. That we would appreciate the people who have loved us. And we ask, as your scripture demands, that you'd help us make this a priority, the first priority above everything else, that we'd have fervent love for you and for the people around us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.